Amen. Y'all give it up for these who've come to lead worship for us today and how honored we are to have them. Now, James chapter 1 in your Bibles, if you're visiting with us, we're going verse by verse through this awesome book that James has written to a group of Jewish believers. Now, this past week, I was in my study uh, looking over this, and James Forrester, uh, the newest guy on staff, actually came and knocked on my door and walked in, and he said, I got a gift for you. I said, well, I love gifts, so what you got? And he reached in his pocket, and he pulled this out right here. He said, I found it in Dahlonega, and I thought you might want, want to have it. So he put this in my hand. I said, well, uh, it looks shiny. But it is not real. He was trying to pass this as real gold like he was going to give it to me. Are y'all listening? But this was actually iron pyrite. This is fool's gold. And really he just brought it because he saw it and it reminded him of the message series. You know, James is writing to a group of individuals to encourage them to have 24 karat faith. And this morning what we discovered together is that there are four questions we will see in our text that actually will determine whether or not our faith is genuine and growing. So with that in mind, James chapter 1, verse 26. Go ahead and stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. And you've got it there in front of you. Say yes. And the Bible says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes, and you say, sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, uh, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, do not, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. It's not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into the court, isn't it? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? Let's bow together. Father, we do thank you so much for your word and ask that you would plant its truth into our hearts. And as we learned last week, uh, we know as followers of Jesus that the word continues to be planted into our life and is able to save us, is able to empower us to overcome sin. And God, as we look at this short test this morning, help us to be mindful of the fact that you're in the process of growing each one of us in our faith. And God, we pray that you're glorified. And Lord, I pray that you would use me as you see fit during this hour. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So you go ahead and be seated. So four major questions to the test today. And I'm going to put these in the personal uh, frame because I really was asking these questions of myself. And I want you to ask them of yourself also according to these texts of Scripture. The very first question is, is my talk under control? Is my talk under control. Look at verse 26 again. The Bible says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Now you'll notice here a couple of words I want to bring out. The one is religion. Now our modern day vernacular actually looks at the word religion in a negative light. Oftentimes what we say is a person is not saved by their religion, they are saved by their relationship with Jesus Christ. 
In other words, what we're saying is that a person's religious activity, their activity of doing things, do not earn them righteousness before Almighty God. They must turn from their sin and place their trust in Jesus and what He has done for them on the cross at Calvary. And so oftentimes, even in our modern day, we listen and hear that word religion and automatically think negative. But we got to be very careful that we don't take a modern day interpretation of the word and lay it down on verse 26 and 27. James here is not speaking of religion in a negative light. He's actually speaking of it in a positive light. He is saying that a man's religion speaks his of his devotion and genuine uh, heart toward Almighty God. So this is actually seen as a positive concept. It's not a man trying to work his way to heaven, but it is a man who has a true, genuine devotion to Jesus Christ. And then you note here the word bridal. James is using a word picture in verse 26. A bridal is the equipment used to direct a horse. And James here is saying that if you say you know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you cannot bridle or control your own tongue, then your religion is worthless. And it's true, there is a correlation between how we speak and what we value, what's on our heart. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 12, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So again, the idea of bridle means to take control of. So if you cannot control your tongue, then your life gives evidence of not being in control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, think about your speech for just a moment this morning. How often do you say things that are not honoring to the Lord? How often do you speak in a way that does honor the Lord? And I would say, you think about it, sir. You, you can't cuss your wife with the same mouth that you claim to love Jesus. Uh, You can't cuss your children and then come in here and out of the same mouth, bless the Lord. Something is not congruent there. There is an issue. You cannot use your mouth to cut people up with criticism, to speak negatively about them, to slander them. And then in the same breath, say, I love Jesus. In fact, if you consider for just a moment, when you take inventory of your speech, I want you to think, do you speak the same way? outside of these four walls as you do in here or do you say you know what i've got a totally different vernacular out here when i'm at work really because if your faith is genuine and you are growing in your faith you will find that the holy spirit will empower you to control your tongue so i would ask you and james is going to really get on it in James chapter 3 speaking about our tongue but i would just ask you by way of uh, maybe introducing that concept what's your speech like Does your speech honor the Lord? Is your talk under control? Or are you the kind of individual who says, I just cannot control what's coming out of my mouth? Well, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, if their religion is not worthless, if their devotion to God is not useless, they can control what they speak. Now, there's a second question of this test, and it's very simple. Who am I serving that cannot repay me? Who am I serving that cannot repay me? So he's talked about our speech, and now he's going to talk about our conduct. Who am I serving that cannot repay me? Look at verse 27. Uh, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Now these are two major groups of individuals that James is highlighting. Orphans and widows, they were the most helpless in that particular day and age. And James says that if your religion is pure, that is, if you are not using religion for personal advancement or gain, 
If your religion is pure, listen to this, then you will visit, which by the way, doesn't mean just to show up at somebody's house. It literally means to look out after those who are in great distress. So if your religion is pure, if you have a genuine devotion to God, you will be bent toward showing compassion to those who are in great distress. And uh, James here is elevating both the widows and the orphans. Uh, Do you know whenever it comes to ministering to those who are widows, there's actually a limit placed on that ministry? It's quite interesting. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and said that the early church was not to engage in ministry to those uh, who were widows unless, listen to this, they were widows indeed. And then Paul the Apostle goes on to explain to Timothy who are widows indeed. He says they are individuals who have no family who can help them. Those are genuine widows to be helped. He says they are ladies who are 60 years old or older. Those are the ones that should be helped. The Bible is teaching that the church should not be burdened to care for every widow, but only those who are widows indeed. You know, one commentator notes orphans and widows are two categories of society that are likely to be destitute and lonely. Therefore, they are in distress. There will be nothing received from them, no political or social advantage to gain. Serving them may require both sacrifice of time and money. Now, this simply magnifies the fact that we cannot, as a church, say that we love the Lord Jesus Christ and then at the same time ignore those who are in great distress. So quickly let me note here the idea of serving those who are in great need is not delegated to a a pastoral staff alone. This is actually a letter written to believers. So every disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ should be bent towards compassion to look out after those who are in great distress. Now, does this pastor's heart good to be able to commend our church in this area? Matter of fact, here in our fellowship, through our community groups, it is pretty amazing how many people are being ministered to on a weekly basis, and I would even say a daily basis. In fact, if you think about those who uh, get put in the hospital, our staff goes and we visit those who are in the hospital. I'm always encouraged when I find out that I've been beaten there by somebody who is a member of that individual's community group. They are reaching out to minister to those who are in need. I don't feel like they beat me there. I feel like we are running together and we are ministering together. And what a great tool in the life of this body that community groups are. So I would encourage you. You may be a guest of ours. You may be a new member, but you've not yet got plugged into a community group. Uh, You need to get involved in one. You're going to be shocked at how you're ministered to and how you have the opportunity to minister to others as well. So we see that happening in community groups, but also we see ministry to those who are in need occurring through our Hope Center. Our Hope Center is located out on 129, and there are many volunteers in our church body who sacrifice both their time as well as their service and even their finances to be able to minister to those who are in great need in our fellowship. They are there to give those who need hope in our community great hope. So there's that ministry. There's also a great ministry known as Celebrate Recovery. It's going on on Monday nights. These are people who gather together, and they are ministering to those who have great hurts, habits, and hang-ups in their life. And they are leading them through a step of recovery. They are offering to them an opportunity to grow in their faith. It's a great ministry. 
And then I'm always encouraged by the men's ministry as they seek to minister to single moms in our community. Single moms, uh, in this case, who cannot have the oil changed in their vehicles. There are men who gather together here in our fellowship and right out there in our parking lot. They begin to prop these vehicles up and change the oil in these ladies' cars. And then what's awesome is that they have an opportunity also not only to change the oil, but talk about how Jesus can change that person's heart. So they're seeking to minister to those who are in need. And there are many in distress who are being served by the body of Concord. Now, can we increase in that area? Can we do better? Let me ask y'all. Y'all just shake your head. You think we can do better? There's no doubt we can do better. We can always increase. Matter of fact, I want you to think for just a moment as a follower of Jesus Christ yourself. And let me ask you this question. Who are you looking out after right now in your life who cannot repay you? Uh, Who are you seeking to look out after who cannot repay you? Who are you seeking to show compassion towards who is in great distress? Is there somebody in your life? And let me just say it like this. What would a church look like if every single one of us had individuals that we were looking out after who were in great distress? What if not just the uh, staff of the church, not just the leaders of the church, but every single one of us, if we saw those who were in great distress and we ministered to their needs, what a great example of the love of Jesus that would be in our community. So we can definitely increase there. Now, the test moves on to another question. And this question is, am I serving with pure motives? Am I serving with pure motives? It's the last part of verse 27, but let me read all of verse 27 again and you see it. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress, and then notice this part, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now the word unstained, it means to remain pure. And again, it's in the context of ministering to those who are in great distress. So what James is telling you and I is that as we minister to those who are in great distress, we do not need to be carried away by the world's system of thinking and acting. We need to remain uh, absolutely pure. Now, when we talk about the world here, it's not talking about the globe itself. It's literally talking about the world system, the world's way of thinking and living. John writes about it in 1 John 2. Listen to what he says. He says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, uh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So here we see the world's way of thinking is actually opposite from the way a disciple of Jesus Christ thinks. And it will make no sense to this world for someone to spend their time serving another who could offer nothing in return. You see, the world's way of thinking is to do for others who can also do for you. That is, if you're going to sacrifice time, energy, and possibly even your finances to help someone, there are people uh, literally who can repay you in doing that. And the world says those are the ones you should serve. Maybe you serve someone because they can help your resume. Or maybe you can serve someone because they put your name on the map of the community. Or they know someone famous. Or maybe even they have the ability to do advance you in some sort of way. Well, that's the world's way of thinking. God's way of thinking is to do for others who can do nothing for you. Serve those who are in great distress without any desire to be repaid without any hint of gaining notoriety, without any hidden motive. 
Now, this is what James is teaching you and I in the text. If our religion is pure, if our religion is undefiled, then we will serve those in distress being unstained by the world, unstained by any hidden agenda. Can I ask you, are you serving people with pure motives? Are you serving people without any desire whatsoever to be repaid? Now we go to our fourth question. Y'all still with me? Say yes. This fourth question is, do I accept people who are not like me? Do I accept people who are not like me? And this is where it kind of gets uh, rowdy this morning. I want you to see this, though, in chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Uh, Simply put, James is saying that if we hold up our faith in Jesus and we say that we are his followers, then we cannot show favoritism towards people when it comes to serving. Showing favoritism towards others highlights the fact that we seek to serve uh, people with a motive to get something out of it. And then James begins to lay out the picture for us. Verses 2 through 4. If a man comes into your assembly, that is, if he shows up to your church with a gold ring, the Greek New Testament gives the idea that every finger on the man's hand has a gold ring upon it. He's the... Uh, gold-fingered. Thank you. So you can tell he's rich because of the things he has upon his fingers, but then you go a step further. He's dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And then you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Now, apparently, there was an issue with this among the Jewish believers. They were extremely quick to reach out to those who were wealthy. They were very adamant about accepting individuals who were of great stature into their group. And the reason for this was quite simply because they were judging that the person who seemed to have more financial leverage in their life could somehow bring a greater benefit to them. So they were seeking to pay very special attention to those individuals. So they walk into church and say, look at this guy. He's filthy rich, man. Come over here and sit down in the best seat of the house. That's happened to me before where somebody came and introduced uh, me or rather was letting me know that somebody was at the church. And by the way, it wasn't here, so y'all don't look around for each other, all right? But uh, there was somebody at the church who was well off, known in the community. And they said, oh, Levi, check it out, man. So-and-so's here today. You need to go over there and spend some time with him. I'm telling you, that old boy, he's got some money. And if we could get him involved in this church, it'd be amazing what could happen. Uh, I ignored him. Y'all all right with that? So, I mean, no, you know, no offense to him necessarily. But the bottom line is it doesn't matter who is in the church if Jesus is not there. The goal is to accept him and let him, by his grace, reach people with his good news. But let's be honest, right? We often do this in our lives, show favoritism. Matter of fact, I'm always amazed at the sovereign hand of God and his timing. This afternoon is Sunday at the park, and I'm pretty fired up about it. But I thought it was interesting that the Lord would have me preach on this today. Sunday at the park. Think about this. A lot of people are going to show up at our campus this afternoon. 
A lot of people who may not look like you. Some of them are going to get out of nice vehicles. Look like they just stepped out of a Banana Republic commercial. Y'all with me? And then on the other hand, there'll be some who come not in such a nice vehicle. Not wearing the finest of clothes. And the question is, are you going to show favoritism? Are you going to lean towards a certain group of people and ignore the other group? Now listen, if you do that, can I tell you, that is sin. We cannot show favoritism. We must minister to all individuals. And then I go a step further. There are going to be some people who will show up this afternoon who aren't the same color as you are. And listen, if you're not very careful, you begin to look down upon another person because they aren't the same color as you. And you begin to be racist. You say things about certain uh, ethnic groups and you make comments about them. Listen, racism and loving Jesus do not go together. Racism is sin. Matter of fact, I'll let all of you know Jesus wasn't white. But aren't you glad he accepted you? And so if Jesus accepts every tribe, every tongue of every nation, should we not be the same? If we are an extension of Jesus Christ who is the head of the church, that which Jesus loves, should we not love also? So who do we love? Whoever comes. We accept them, we love them, and we minister to them. And I just kind of throw out here uh, real quick too. That I know this morning I shared that we would uh, focus on Mexico for the next several years. Now, some of y'all probably thought, Mexico? What in the world we, why would we do that? And some of you probably even got political in your mind. Just probably started, started thinking about the border. Hey man, be real careful you ain't racist. Be very careful you don't start sliding people because they're not like you. That's the opposite of genuine Christian love and faith. We love everybody. We accept them. Because Jesus died for them on the cross. Are y'all listening to me, please? Now, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren. Do not... Uh, Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who loved him? Now you see here he says, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Now there's a couple of ways you can look at this. When you read that text of scripture and you talk about the poor, uh, you literally could be talking about those who are financially poor. And it is true, right? Those who are financially poor, aren't there some who have great faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, I think about traveling overseas and places in Africa where I have visited men and women and children alike who live in huts in villages. These people don't have money. And yet when I begin to talk with them and hear from their heart, it is amazing the depth of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, could it be that every single morning when they wake up, the reason their faith is growing so much stronger than ours is because they've got to depend upon Jesus for their very next meal? But you and I in this room typically have some kind of bank account. We've got some kind of paycheck that's coming in. And as a result, oftentimes that actually keeps us from trusting in Jesus. We trust in what we have. So those who are pure in faith, or poor rather, are often rich in faith. But then this could also be seen in the sense in which Jesus was preaching it. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. 
And when he says poor in spirit, he is talking specifically about people, not their financial accounts, but about their spiritual bank accounts. And there are those who are blessed because they realize before Almighty God they are spiritually bankrupt, that they have no righteousness in their life. And whenever they realize this, they reach out to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then God, by His grace, deposits the full riches of righteousness from His Son into their spiritual bank account. That's why they inherit the kingdom of heaven. So here he is speaking specifically about those who are poor. And then in verse 6 he says, but you, if you can imagine, I mean, James, at this point, man, he's bearing down on the parchment paper. But you have dishonored the poor man. You've dishonored him. You think about that for a moment. The very ones who are rich in faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ, James says, you are dishonoring those people. You have to kind of consider that. Maybe I give it to you this way. You who are uh, mothers and fathers, you ever have somebody dishonor your kids? Maybe they say something negative about them. And all of a sudden, something on the inside kind of rouses up. And you're like, come here, man. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something. Y'all with me? Don't act spiritual, right? But that's it. So you get riled up. Somebody talks about your kids. Listen, be careful because in your favoritism, you might be talking about one of God's kids. Dishonored. James is like, don't do it. And then he says, uh, verse 6 again, Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Verse 7, Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? He's saying, listen, you're spending all your time trying to show favoritism towards these guys who are seeking to exploit you. They're trying to take advantage of you, and yet you're saying, Hey, sit over here. You poor people sit over there. Do I accept people who are not like me? Now, are y'all listening Yeah, That's a pretty easy question. You're probably thinking, yeah, I think I do. I think I do. It's, it's pretty crazy, right? It's amazing. You know, college football started yesterday. That's what I heard. <laughs> Calm down. I'm like, open your Bible. And y'all are like, whatever. And I say, college football. Praise the Lord. You know what I mean? Preach on. But, but uh, have you noticed uh, that people will accept folks? Who love college football? It's like you've been watching the game, yeah, man. Come here, let's talk about what did you just watch. We'll accept people who are like us. Maybe they have some of the same interests. But can I tell you, God put this on my mind this week, and I, I didn't even mention it to Krista because I was so convicted by it. But we were walking out of Target, where we were having a good time, by the way. We call it Target. Y'all listen. And I was, you know, I, you know, I, if you've ever preached a sermon, you know, when you put it together, I put it together on Monday, so it's sitting with me all week, right? So I'm just kind of mulling it over, thinking it through, and I'm headed out of Target, and I'm thinking, you know, do not show favoritism. Do not be racist. And about that time, a woman walked in who was completely covered in Muslim garb. And it's like the Lord said, you going to love her? That's pretty strong, isn't it? You showing favoritism? Man, I, I shoot you straight. I, I have been. And I got to pray God root that mess out of my heart. 
Y'all, y'all all right? I know all of y'all, y'all didn't have any issues, just a preacher, right? That's what I'm saying, right? She's like, yeah, boy, you better get that mess around. Glad you put that together for yourself. <laughs> now, today, we, we've got people coming. They'll be out here, you know, over the past, man, somewhere between two and 3,000 people show up on our campus. Many of them churched, many of them unchurched. And I want you to share Jesus with them. Now, look at me eyeball to eyeball. I want us to welcome everybody. I want us to be hospitable. I want us to love everybody the exact same like Jesus would. And then whenever they come, I want us to look for an opportunity to share who Jesus Christ is to those individuals. So my challenge to every single one of you who are members of our fellowship is that you share Jesus with somebody this afternoon right out here in the parking lot. You go, listen, man, we got blow-up games. We got all kinds of stuff, many people. I mean, fireworks. But we don't do all that stuff just so we can bring people on the campus and show them the concrete. We do it to show them. And although that concrete's nice, it's out there now, and we're praising the Lord for that. But we do it to show them Christ. So I want you to share Jesus with them. So I'm give you a couple of ways you can get into a gospel conversation that quick. Y'all with me say yes? So out there at our welcome station, uh, and you'll see them this afternoon as well, are these two little cards. I use them all the time when we do kind of street evangelism stuff. And very easy. People come to me. They say, can I have some of them cards? And I actually give them to them. They just love them. So if you hold them up, all you got to do is hold up a red one and a blue one and say, which one looks bigger to you? Y'all shout it out over here. Let me come over here. Which one looks bigger to you? Yeah, blue. Now, now which one looks bigger to you? That messed y'all up, didn't it? Right? It's just that they both are the exact same size, but I do that with people in there. People are like, oh, that's crazy. I say, here, man, you keep it. On the back of it, there's information on how to go to heaven when you die. Now, if you died today, where do you feel like you'd go? I just got in a gospel conversation, didn't I? And all I did was, which one's bigger? <laughs> I don't know why I talk like that. <laughs> But there it is, and, and here's what happens. 95% of the people you ask that question are going to say heaven. So then you just say, well, what makes you so sure? And then 95% of the time, they'll actually begin to share with you because of their good works. They feel like, well, I mean, I'm a good person. You know, I, I love people. I take care of my family. I try to do the right thing. I try to treat others the way I want to be treated. Well, did you know, sir, that the Bible teaches we've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard, that none of us are good enough to go to heaven? Well, I didn't realize that. Well, okay, here, here's the good news. God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. He was buried and resurrected. And if you will turn from your sin and place your trust in Christ, all your sin can be forgiven. How about that? Are y'all listening? Now, here's the deal. Because some of you are thinking, well, I don't know if I can share the gospel. You've been in church all your life. How many times you got to hear it? You know it. God sent Jesus to die for sin. Sin separates us. We need a Savior. His name is Jesus. Why can't we share that? Which one's bigger? Y'all all right out there? Here, here's another way I love to get into a gospel. I just introduce myself. Hey, I'm Levi. Hey, man, what church you go to? No matter what they say, they may say, I don't go to church. Or they may say, I go to so-and-so church. Here, here's my response. Church is important, not the most important thing. Most important thing is what's going to happen to you when you die. So if you die today, where do you feel like you go? Heaven or hell? Are y'all listening to me? This is easy peasy, man. Get right into a gospel conversation. Share Christ with them. 
And then if you want to, get somebody in your community group, somebody you know or somebody you know here at the church. Say, hey, man, let's go over here and let's share Jesus with somebody. And you just go up to somebody and say, hey, my name's Levi. And this is my buddy, my community group. Uh, he wants to tell you how to go to heaven when you die. Go on, tell him. <laughs> it works. I've done it, man. I know what y'all are thinking. You're like, I ain't getting around Levi this afternoon. I'll tell you that much right now. Wherever he is, I ain't. But hey, listen, you, you know the gospel. You don't have to be some scholar who goes to seminary to share Jesus. You just, just need to know Jesus. You're introducing your Savior to somebody who don't know him. Introduce him. Now, everybody look at me eyeball to eyeball right quick. There's some other ways out there. We've got some million-dollar bills you can hand out. So it always gets people's attention. What? And some of y'all are here today, though. Look at me, eyeball to eyeball. And if I came to you and was like, hey, man, if you die right now, where do you think you'd go? you say, heaven? i say, well, how, how are you so sure? Well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I've been in church all my life. I got baptized one time. I, I went to vac- vacation Bible school. I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah, that's not how you get to heaven. If, you, if you're counting, listen, if you can get to heaven by being good, it makes zero sense for God to send Jesus to die on a cross. What did he come for? He came because we are sinners who deserve to die. But Jesus died for you. Some of y'all may be guests here this morning. You're like, man, I never thought about it like that. Well, I'm encouraging you to think about it just like that. You can be saved today. God will reach out and redeem you right where you are. And when your life is changed, your behavior changes. And all of a sudden now you're bent with compassion towards other people. Amen? Amen. Let's bow. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts. We rejoice in those who have already responded to salvation today. We'll give you glory for it.